Welcome everyone to the very first episode of In the Isle. Uh, my name is Christina and I will be your host for this whole series and I am so, so excited to get started. Thank you so much, first of all, for tuning in and checking this out. Whether you know me personally or don't and just want to learn more about politics in general, I am so glad to have you here. And just to reiterate something that I talked about in my trailer, I am not an expert, right? I don't believe that you actually have to be an expert to know these things. And it's a lot easier than you would think to, to be, uh, to have that political knowledge and to be able to use it in your daily life and to know about things going on down in DC. I'm very committed to that idea. So again, welcome everybody. Um, the way that this episode is going to work in future episodes, of course, things might change down the line. But what I what I envision for this is I'm going to start off with, of course, doing a political news recap of things that are going on um, each week and then dive into more of like an analysis of what that means for us as citizens and voters and whatnot. And what I'm hoping with the analysis segment is to, again, just to give you that extra background and to get into extra layers of what we hear in the news, right? Because we know sometimes things may seem as that they are one way and we learn that they are completely different. So that analysis itself is just basically going that extra step so that you can understand more than um, the headline and the story itself without, uh, without giving too much information and doing an information overload because that's, that's not the goal um, of this. I want to be as clear and as concise as I possibly can be with that. Then once that segment is finished, I plan on moving on to sort of a deep dive of um, basically the piece of government or politics that directly pertains to the news of that week. Now, this probably means that we're going to jump around to a bunch of different things. Um, for example, I'll probably be talking about, of course, the impeachment at some point. Um, and then I'll maybe switch over to how Congress forms its committees or elections or things like that. So it's going to jump around a lot, but the goal is to give you that information so that you can understand what is going on in that week of news. And hopefully episode after episode, it'll just sort of build on itself. At least that's that's how I see it and hope for everybody that it'll build on up on itself so that you could have a very strong idea of how our government functions and why it is the way it is and uh, the different players that come in um, come into situations and do impact government policy and of course politics itself after that it will probably be my favorite segment um, i'm planning on either introducing guests that i have um, for that episode each week on the show and of course um, talking about something positive in news and when it comes to the government or politics so I think we can all do with some of that right now, right? It's just a complete, it feels like it's a complete mess um, seeing the, uh, the headlines that we have seen the past four years, honestly, and even beyond that. Um, so I'm hoping that'll be just like a nice uplifting segment before I move into my final thoughts for you guys.
And for this week in particular, it, there was so much that went on between um, Trump's final days in office and, of course, the inauguration. It really almost felt like two weeks put into one with the amount of amount of things that happened. So I'm just going to do a rundown of the things that I think that are the most important to know and to pay attention to um, from this past week and are probably things that are going to come up again down the line. So we're going to start with, of course, President excuse me, former President Trump, going to have to get used to saying that, um, former President Trump's final days in office. So first and foremost, he spent this time basically like hunkered down in, in the White House. He wasn't seen that much. And one of the biggest things that he did, uh, of course, were his presidential pardons. For those of you who don't know, a pardon is something that a president can use to basically erase somebody's like let's let's call them wrongdoings and basically make it so that they are excused from any sort of legal action that can come from that um the whatever whatever they did wrong this person did wrong so trump in his last few days in office pardoned 143 people now to note there are way too many people to name obviously but these are pretty much the people that um Trump was friends with or people that worked with him and for him while he was in the White House um, who needed, you know, some of those wrongdoings erased. Most notably out of the 143 people, it included Lil Wayne. So if you think that these were all political pardons um, for people who worked for him and he was surrounded by, Think again, this extended to well outside the White House. Um, and I know Lil Wayne is probably breathing a lot easier now that his friend Trump was able to um, acquit him or erase, I should say, erase any of um, any charges that were against him for, for God knows whatever reason that was. It is worth noting that he did not issue any pardons for himself or his family members, so like his children. Um, for example, and um, this was something that was being speculated a lot in the news. Um, but again, he did not end up doing this um, when he was making those pardons in his final days in office. We also saw um, former First Lady Melania give a speech as well, which um, was something that was really interesting to see just because I don't know about you all, but I could probably count on one hand the amount of times I've actually heard her her talk and like hear what her voice sounds like. So to uh, to see that and to hear that was really interesting. Content-wise, there wasn't a lot there. Not saying that she wasn't intelligent or anything, but just like there really wasn't like um there really weren't that many statements that she was trying to make. She basically was just wrapping up the uh, the four years that she's had in um being our first lady and said that it was. It was for her the honor of a lifetime. And she also called for peace in in the wake of uh, Biden becoming our new president, um, basically in response again to that um, domestic terrorist attack that we saw at the Capitol a few weeks ago. And um, she was really hoping, I'm, I can tell that she was really hoping that she would get across to some of those people who felt angry and upset and what could potentially want to um, attack again, which we did not see, which it, it, which was good. And 
I'm personally grateful that she made that statement. Um, again, on uh, Inauguration Day, since we're talking about Trump's final days, he chose not to go to the inauguration. I think a lot of you have probably heard that at this point. And instead, what he did was he left the White House around 8.30 in the morning on Marine Force One, which um, is not Air Force One. It's something completely different. He then arrived at an airport in Maryland, um, greeted by a very small group of uh, his supporters before boarding Air Force One to go to Florida. Um, while he was there, he gave his final address to the supporters there and, of course, the country um, as president of the United States. And much like his wife, there wasn't, like, speaking purely on content, there wasn't a lot in there. Um, and I was personally surprised because this is the first time I actually thought I saw him not get choked up. Like, I wouldn't call it that at all, but he was clearly feeling the support from the crowd and was um, very grateful that they were there. Um, and you could clearly see this in his body language. But in terms of what he actually talked about, the uh, the fact is that it was, it was full of exaggerations. Um, and it is worth noting that we know this from him, right? This is something that he does and we shouldn't be surprised about. It's part of the reason why he has been kicked off of social media sites, right? For spreading false information. But there were a few nuggets of truth in there. Um, I'll give him that. For example, when he talked about what he has done in his administration has done for veterans and the approval ratings there um, at 91%. I can't deny that. That is true. And um, I know the veterans are very grateful for our former president in that respect. Um, but overall, I was just really saying thank you to the people. He kept using phrases like, we love you. Um, and I would say that the big thing to note here was that he basically said that there, him and his family and his team are not done, meaning that there is there is a likelihood that he will be sticking around in the political world, potentially running for office again. I'm definitely going to talk about this in the analysis, but it was very clear from that speech that they, him and his family have no intentions on um, stepping out of the political limelight anytime soon. After that, um, Trump said, and his family said goodbye and made their way to Mar-a-Lago, um, which, of course, as we know, is in Florida and Palm Beach. And pretty much after that, it was, it was all eyes were on the inauguration, and um, Trump only had a few hours of his presidency left. Now, moving on to the biggest event of the week, the inauguration. Um, days leading up to this and like on the day of the event, I'm sure you've also heard there was extra security. Like there has never been an inauguration that had that much security as um, Biden's inauguration on Wednesday. And that is because of course, what happened at the Capitol building um, a few weeks ago and the the, the high level of, um, of threats and activity that the FBI and National Guard caught wind of. So it was an extra security event. And again, it was held at the Capitol building at noon on Wednesday. And it was attended by former presidents and their wives, members of Congress, Supreme Court justices, important people like that in our government. And you saw performances from people like J-Lo and Lady Gaga, which I will say both of them completely knocked it out of the park. I had chills listening to Lady Gaga, which, of course, what else would I expect from her? Um, and then Garth Brooks, who, you know, 
he he sang. He 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 did what he he did his duty that day, um, and still did a a great job. I'll leave it at that. Um, but the biggest highlight from the inauguration wasn't even um, Biden's speech, which we'll talk about soon. Um, it's really the fact that Kamala is a female and is now vice president of the United States. I, again, had chills watching that um, and her getting sworn in. Like That, to me, was just one of the coolest moments um, in, in my life, no exaggeration, just because seeing a woman being elected to this high office um, was just a really great thing to see. And it is such a bummer because if this was a normal year, like not even with COVID or President Trump, um, if this was a normal year, this would have been highlighted so much more. Because not only is she a female, right? She's the first Black American, the first Indian American to be sworn into the vice presidency and to have that high level of office. And it's just like, again, it's just really historic, no matter what you believe about um, her political affiliation. Like, this was just a, a huge milestone for women all over the country and in some respects all over the world. So like, even seeing any woman rise to any, um, high level office is something that is really inspiring to see. Now, moving on to the impeachment, because there has been some talks um, about this. Of course, you can't avoid it. We know it's coming. Um, this is something that I am definitely going to be covering and we're going to be talking about. But just so you know where the impeachment stands right now, the Senate trial still needs to commence in order to truly uh, convict the president. I'm now going to move on to my next segment, which is my going to be my news analysis segment and really just break down what we saw and what this means for us um, and why we should be concerned with it. So, again, as I said, stated previously, Trump did not attend the ceremony um, while he did agree. He did say previously that he was all for a peaceful transition of power. By not showing up, it doesn't mean that he necessarily went back on his word. Um, but at the same time, it was just a really poor reflection on that promise that he he did make to the American people. That being said, Vice President Pence and his wife did choose to attend. And one of my favorite things of this week is that um, the Vice President Pence was invited to <laughs> to, to the send-off for President Trump, and he was just, he just straight up chose not to go. Like, he was just like, I want nothing to do with this. So, um, I'll say that he blew off his former partner in crime because, for those of you who don't know, the two just straight up haven't really spoken to each other since the attack on the Capitol. And that was, I think, the final straw for, for Pence this whole time. And, um, Trump has also been really stubborn too. So, both parties just have not talked to each other that much. And, if I'm being completely honest, like when I first heard this go down, I the first thing I thought of was like that like trope from like middle school like media or like movies, I should say, where like one popular person decides to throw a party and then someone else decides to also throw a party because I mean Trump's send-off was basically like him throwing a party for himself. And people had to pick between like which party they were going to go to. And basically, everybody went for, like, the really popular 
I'll, I'll say girl in this case, um, really popular girls party, which was Joe Biden. Like no, none of Trump's people went to um, this send off thing that he had. Right. And even like Republicans, they were like, no, none of them there. And they all just showed, <laughs> they all just chose to, to show up for Joe Biden. And again, you had Pence who basically said to to Trump indirectly, like, oh, like, haha, I'm going to go to the popular girls party. Like, like, I'm just going to abandon you, like, ditch you, like, see ya, wouldn't want to be a type of thing. Um, though I will say in Pence's defense, you're going to hear me say that very few times on this, on the series. But in Pence's defense, like, after everything that's happened, especially with the the attack on the Capitol building, like, I don't blame him. And him showing up for the inauguration really was an indicator that, like, at least some people of the Trump administration do want that peaceful transition of power and do want to commit to our democracy in that way. Now, moving on to the speech that I talked about that the president made at the airport in that last part where he basically said that he and his family are not done in the world of politics, that is something that we need to pay attention to. You may not know this, but just because somebody has been president, like in Trump's case, it doesn't bar them from running from any other office. Like, for example, he's only served one term as president, so he could theoretically run as many times as he wanted to. Um, And then, of course, if he got the presidency, since presidents could only serve two terms, that would stop him from running again. But we could theoretically see something like that, but then also see him run for governor of Florida or for the Senate in Florida, um, or any of his children can also do the same. Um, and I think, like I said, it's very clear that they are not done with politics. Um, and even if Trump is impeached, which would bar him from being able to run for office ever again, among many other things, his children can just easily pick up where he left off because there is, I mean, as we know, we saw the election results, there is such a large base of people who do love the Trumps and you may be one of them. Um, and you may be excited about this news, you know, personally, I am not. <laughs> and I definitely gonna be taking this one step at a time because thinking about it is, is a lot to wrap my head around. And I'm just going to be focusing on the impeachment and what this would mean for Trump and then maybe focus on his family and what political aspiration aspirations, excuse me, that they may have. But again, Trump could easily run for another office if he wants to, um, unless, of course, he gets impeached. Now, moving on to the ceremony itself, um, you might be thinking, like, how were they able to do this with COVID? Like, was it responsibly done, like socially distanced? And from what I could see and from what I looked up online, they really took every precaution they could. Everyone was wearing masks except for when, of course, they were speaking or singing um, in some people's respect. At, at the ceremony and this public spectatorship was really cut down. Like they only had 2000 people there. And those are the people who um, really who got invitations to this inauguration. It wasn't like you could just show up like off the street like you normally can. And um, the National Mall can usually hold about 200,000 people just to keep that in perspective. What they did do instead, which you might have seen, is that they put flags about, I think it was about 200,000 flags in the National Mall um, to symbolize the people who could have been there but couldn't because of COVID. And I would have 100% been one of those people. Um, I, I wish times were different. I could have gone down, but I'll have to make it to the next one.
Um, and again, because of COVID, there was no parade afterwards. If you recall, it's typically what happens after a president gets sworn in. And of course, there was no um, inaugural ball. And what they did do instead is have um, uh, an inaugural celebration on TV with people performing and speeches and things like that. Um, and again, this is just a, a very clear contrast from Trump, because we know for a fact that he would have had an inaugural ball because he's someone who doesn't really believe that the pandemic is as bad as it is. And um, we do have we do have scenarios that he in the past few months, like especially on election night, if you remember, like he had people packed into the White House for viewing parties. None of them had masks on. He was not concerned. So for sure, Trump would have had an inaugural ball if, if this was his inauguration. Now, in terms of riots and concerns, the threat of violence has been high ever since the domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol a few weeks ago. But the FBI really did a great job with vetting like National Guardsmen and overall security to make sure that there wasn't going to be an inside attack, which there was speculation that that was going to happen, which I don't know about you guys, but that that terrified me to my core, like the idea that that could that it could be an inside attack that could potentially threaten the inauguration day and everyone there. And when they they did their investigations, they actually dismissed twelve um, questionable guardsmen. And overall, in the weeks leading up to, from the Capitol attack to the inauguration this past week, you did see a lot of people that were stopped who had guns and ammo and bombs and whatnot trying to to disrupt our democracy and this wasn't highlighted so much on the news but it be, it it did happen like it, there there were in more instances than I would 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 have hoped there would have been um after the attack but realistically I think that was something that we would have probably expected since so many people are very passionate now about the um, former president and his politics and what they believe in again the uh, talking about Kamala, and um, if you ever have issues like pronouncing her name or um, like what to enunciate and like what emphasis certain syllables should have, the way I like to think of it, and I've seen this online as well, like if you just say comma and then add la at the end of it, Kamala, that is the correct way of pronouncing her name. So now you know if you if you've been pronouncing it like um, Kamala or something like that. Um, now you know how to pronounce her name correctly. The The greatest impact of this, of her being sworn in today, besides being, again, the first woman um, in the vice presidency, was that she was sworn in by Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who was also a woman of color. And if you haven't seen that swearing in, it's literally less than two minutes long. I highly recommend, because that in itself is... Um, going to go down in American history is something that is never forgotten about. Um, it was just really powerful that Sonia Sotomayor was the one to um, swear in um, Kamala Harris. Now, moving on to Biden's address. There was a lot that happened in that, and I'm not going to go into like extreme detail because out of that 25-minute speech that he did, I could probably make a three-hour podcast dissecting it and analyzing it. Um, but that being said, we kind of already knew the things he was going to talk about because these are the things, right, guys, that he's been talking about this whole time. So he really just called for for peace and unity um, 
within the country. And that's going to be a goal of his to make sure that um, we start to rebuild and heal after the divisiveness of the past four years. And um, again, outlining the hopes for what his new administration plan to achieve. And those are some things I'm going to be going on later on, um, talking about later on in the episode. One thing I want to point out from this, um, when, right before his address, so like when Biden was getting sworn in, um, at least on this channel I was watching it on, like there was uh, Joe Biden getting sworn in, his wife Jill's holding the Bible, which he's had one hand on to be, um, to say the oath. And then you just see Mitch McConnell in the background. And for those of you who don't know, Mitch McConnell is a Republican. He's a Senate majority leader. And he, um, he's basically been the one down in D.C. Um, who who stirs the pot, to say the least. Like, he really makes it hard for the Democrats and Republicans to work together. That being said, there are definitely Democrats who do this as well, who, who stick to their guns, so to speak. But Mitch, Mitch is... Um, extra special um, and extra famous for doing this and I swear to god like he he looked like he was throwing daggers like he granted he has been speaking out against Trump um but he clearly didn't want to be there to watch Biden get sworn in and I literally found myself staring into Mitch McConnell's eyes more through my tv versus actually watching President Biden get sworn in because it was just, I just felt the uncomfortableness through the screen. And I'm sure some of you, if you watched it, felt the same and noticed this. Um, granted, maybe he was smiling under his mask. I don't know. But um, he was definitely not smizing. His eyes were very, very dead. And he was kind of um, not very expressive. And definitely when it came time to, to clap after <laughs> Biden got sworn in, I, he he simply just tapped his fingers together and was not very enthusiastic. So I think it's safe to say that while he is, does not condone Trump anymore, he was also not thrilled that Biden was the one who was going to be um, sworn in on Inauguration Day. Now, another thing that I think is really important was that the fact that even with COVID and everything we had, we have going on right now, they were still able to be transparent about this and for to have the inauguration be public and televised online and really accessible to the American people because then we can physically see what is happening. Um, especially there is so much distrust in the government right now on from both Democrats and Republicans that um, it's it's really easy to not to not believe things that are going on or and it's really hard to take people's word for when things happen. So having that televised and seeing that transition of power, I think, was really important. Doing it outside in the traditional manner, which I will talk about very soon, um, was also really important, I think, to build um, hope and trust with the American people. Um, and even more so since we did have an election where the results were contested and many people actually, many of Trump supporters actually doubted if Biden um, really truly won and, um, and can now be called the president of the United States. So again, more transparency, I think, is um, really key. The last thing that I'm going to be going over in this analysis are Biden's first 100 days. Now, um, any news source that you've been paying attention to has probably talked about this at some point. It's unavoidable. I mean, we're in the first 100 days right now, right? So definitely something that we're going to be paying attention to. 
And there's a lot of speculation over like what what is Biden going to prioritize? What is he actually going to get done? Again, valid questions because we know there are so many things that he promised in his campaign and even things that he talked about when he was president-elect that a lot of people um, have questions about and want to, to see come to fruition. First and foremost, he's definitely going to be undoing some of Trump's policy and overall legislation that he's either condoned or tried to push through the past four years. And this is honestly common if you see presidents coming to office that are a different party as their predecessor. It's not that uncommon that this is happening. Um, Though, again, we are in such a divided time that for sure this was going to happen regardless of the fact that Trump um, was Biden's predecessor. But it's something very common that we could see. So in case you're wondering, too, like is since Biden, of course, was Obama's vice president, is this going to be a lot of what we saw when Obama was president? And I would say yes and no. So, I mean, they're both Democrats. So, of course, Biden's going to follow that. Um, what what Democrats believe in, like their policies and their standpoints and follow that. But I think Biden's really committed on making his own mark on U.S. history, much like what Obama and even Trump have done. Um, so again, yeah, just playing to playing to the party and like his own beliefs, but also being determined to leave leave a positive mark um on this country. And I do think that Kamala is going to have an integral role in this, you know, just because Biden really does want to get so many things done. Um, and four years is not a long a time to do that, let alone 100 days, right? So I think she's going to be playing a big role in this as well, um, because this could really be Biden's make or break these 100 days. It's his chance to, like, like I said, go pull through with those campaign promises and to make, build trust with the American public. So um, predictably, because of that, you see him keep adding things and executive orders and promises he's trying to get done in the first 100 days. Now, I could probably make um, a three-hour video, (laughs) four-hour, honestly, talking about each of the things he has planned or has already done, but I pick three things I think pertain um, the most to our generations, right? And these are things that, um, again, not to minimize the other things he has done, but the three things I am going to be be talking about are also, again, things I think are the most important for us. Okay, the three things are going to be the travel bans. Um, Additionally, with that, asylum limitations. Um, The second thing being the Paris Climate Accord, which is personally something that I'm probably the most excited about. I'm sure many of you are as well. And the third thing um, would be the executive order uh, mask mandate that will be for the entire country. Now, I'm going to run through these three things very quickly. Um, And the reasoning for that is something you're going to actually have to wait until the end of this episode to find out. So (laughs) use that as an incentive to make it all the way to the end of this. But essentially, what you all you need to know about the travel ban for right now is in Trump's first week in office, he placed this this ban that basically was discriminating against the Muslim community, specifically to countries that had a high um, amount of people of the Muslim denomination. And 
while there were people like the ACLU who try to fight against this, the Supreme Court did unfortunately rule in favor of Trump and his team, saying that it was technically constitutional um, because nowhere in it did he explicitly say, at least in the legal language, explicitly say that the ban was because uh, there was a high amount of Muslims and living in these countries and he didn't want them coming over here. Um, that also extends to um, refugees as well. Now, the asylum limitations part of this um, basically, again, was to stop people from coming into this country from places that he didn't want coming into this country, which is terrible to say. So like Mexico, for example, or Honduras or Guatemala, people trying to get asylum to come into this country. And for those of you who don't know, asylum basically it means that um, you're seeking refuge in a new place because of the conditions either in your home country or life itself are not good enough or safe enough for you to live. And by moving to a new place, you can get those benefits and live a better life. And also, I want to point out that that asylum limitation basically banned anybody of the LGBTQ plus community from entering into this country, which is so messed up. Um, so Biden, no surprise, is trying to overturn this if he hasn't already by the time that you're hearing this episode and to lift those limitations because they're discriminatory and racist and just extremely wrong in every way, shape, or form. Um, so that is something that he big he wants to tackle for sure. Within this, I'm so excited to say that Biden also plans to get rid of detention centers um, which is is so fantastic to hear um, because as we all know, those detention centers that mostly children and of course adults are living in are um, basically like prisons and they pack people in like cages. So Biden is also looking to phase those out as well. All right, the next thing and the thing that I am the most excited about, as I said, is the Paris Climate Accord. So for those of you who don't know what the Paris Climate Accord is, it is basically um, it came from a United Nations climate change conference in 2015 that basically their goal was to limit global warming um, across the world, preferably by like a little under two degrees Celsius. Um, and in order for this to happen, you have to have countries that to agree to basically at some point cut off using fossil fuels and investing in green energy and um, overall, just finding cleaner practices to be using and to implement for their people. And the end goal would be in 30 years' time for the world to be um, greenhouse gas neutral. Um, that is obviously easier said than done, but having a plan like this in place really helps get the ball rolling on that and to start pre protecting the environment. Um, it is worth noting that when this first started, China was the only country that did not agree to this accord and did not sign the legally binding contract. Um, but the USA, Obama got us in that initially. And um, this is, I think, one of the things where if you even if you didn't pay attention to politics, you definitely heard about Trump deciding in the middle of his term to start pulling us out of that Paris climate agreement. And um, the reason for that is that um, basically, if you're not moving towards green energy, you basically have to agree to stop using like fossil fuels and like oil and things like that. 
So if that is a way for your country's economy to grow, and especially in countries that are not at, do not have economies as established as, let's say, the United States or the UK or China, for that matter, um, it, it makes it a little extra harder um, for, for people to be able to have an economy that's growing and also being able to keep up with the cost of using green energy. But um, yeah, as like I said, Trump Trump really just decided to throw that out the window, did not care about the environment, and said, you know, I'm gonna take us out of this agreement. For those of you who have been concerned about that, there is some there is some good news with this. And also some irony, <laughs> which was funny to read about. So he, the official announcement for this of him taking us out of this climate agreement came um one exactly one year before the 2020 election. Um, and then on the 2020 election, we officially withdrew. So bad news that that happened, but the good news is that um, we've only been out of it for a few months, and it's really easy for Biden to just re-sign that agreement and to get us back in and to create a plan like the rest of the countries have to do in order to, to see how the United States, in our case, would um, be using, more, using greener energy and helping to, to stop global warming. So that is something that um, definitely we're going to see and definitely if it hasn't happened already by the time that this episode has been released, it will be happening easily in the next uh, few weeks or so. The last piece, of course, is that executive order, as I mentioned previously, on masks and mandating those. All you need to know about this is that... Um, and I believe it's already in, in effect as of when, as I'm recording this, um, Biden has made it mandatory for you to wear masks in federal buildings. So for example, like the United States Capitol, um, 24-7 when you're in that building, and on buses that are crossing state lines. So like if you're traveling from California to Oregon, um, have to wear a mask on a, like your Greyhound bus, for example, However, not mandated if you were just traveling in California itself. Um, and the reason why there aren't that many things that he is enforcing with this is because he's really just leaving it up to states and giving them some autonomy in this in choosing what to do. Now, if you're living in some place like Massachusetts, um, these mass mandates that he had put in place um, don't really affect you that much, right? Because here we have a lot of rules that are already in place for us to follow. For states that are a little bit more lax and who maybe don't really see the pandemic as a big deal, um, this is going to impact them more. And, hope, and he is planning on hopefully giving the governors and other state officials in those states some more guidance on how to be helping convince people to socially distance and wear masks and what not. Um, this is something extremely important, and it's just the tip of the iceberg with the things that he's hoping to achieve with um, COVID-19 and ending it, hopefully, sometime soon. We have now made it to the middle segment of my episode today, and this segment is something that I've decided to call the Democracy Deep Dive. Now, um, the, again, this segment is going to be talking about an aspect of the government that uh, was a highlight in the news of the week, and, and that will extend to politics, of course, in the future. 
And when I was thinking of a name for this segment, like I was trying to think of what kind of like cool name I can come up with. And I landed on Democracy Deep Dive. And honestly, like I first thought about calling this segment like for short Triple D. But I <laughs> forgot that Guy Fieri, that's what he refers to diners, drive-ins, and dives. And I didn't really feel like um, having him take me to court in Flavortown over uh, the dispute. So I have settled on D-cubed, um, which uh, might be a term that I use in future podcasts as a way to just refer to this segment instead of just saying the full name out entirely. Um, yeah, so without further ado, I'm just going to jump right into it. And so after listening to the current events of uh, D.C. and the political world this week, you might be wondering yourself, what is the point of an inauguration? Like, why do we even have one? Um, what is the need for it? So that's what I'm going to be talking about mainly today. Like, what, why we have an inauguration, why is it important, and um, why is it something that uh, does have our, grab our attention every four years? Additionally, um, there are going to be components within the inauguration that I'm also going to be discussing down the line. But just so you know, this segment is mainly going to be talking about the inauguration today. So the first thing to know about the inauguration is that it is always held on January 20th. And um, it's been done like this ever since the Great Depression. And the reason why it is always January 20th is because it's actually outlined in the Constitution. Um, on the weird circumstance that uh, January 20th happens to fall on a Sunday, this is a fun fact for you guys, um, it'll actually be held the next day on the 21st, on that Monday. Um, but yeah, that's the only circumstance that the inauguration would be moved from the 20th. And it actually used to be held on March 4th, which is another random day. And it was done like that from basically the beginning of our government up until the 1930s. And this date was changed from the 4th to January 20th when the 20th Amendment was introduced. And I'm going to go into this a little bit later on, but just so you know, for the context of this first part of the D-Cube segment I have right now, um, the 20th Amendment basically outlines um, the beginning and end dates of um, when a president and vice president can serve in office. And while it's not um, explicitly, explicitly explained in the Constitution, nine times out of ten is always going to be held at the Capitol building. And some of you may be thinking, why is it not held at the White House? Um, which is a really great question. And I honestly have wondered that too before I started doing research on this. But the reason that it is held at the Capitol building and um, not the White House is because there are members of government, excuse me, members of Congress, I should say, who are basically in charge of this event um, that I will be touching upon a little bit later. So it is worth mentioning that um, the only few times that it has ever been held uh, outside of the Capitol building for the inauguration were for very special circumstances. So like, for example, when JFK was unfortunately assassinated in 1963, Lyndon B. Johnson, his vice president of the time, um, took his oath of office, his inauguration was on Air Force One because there was, that was a, um, a high-stakes situation where he had to get sworn in immediately. And um, there, of course, that is the most extreme scenario we've seen. There have been other ones, like George Washington, for example, um, didn't have his inaugurations at the Capitol building. And that's partly because, you know, the country was just you know, starting out at that point. And um, 
things were not set in stone and traditions were not built yet for these, um, for people to be, for example, being sworn in front of the Capitol like we see today. But like I said, it will almost always be held in the capital of the United States, regardless of whether or not they're able to do it at the Capitol building. And you also might be thinking and noticing from Wednesday when the inauguration was held, like, why are we doing this outdoors? And like, regardless of like a pandemic and what we have going on, like, it's January and granted it is DC, but like, why, why does it have to be outdoors? You see everyone all bundled up. Um, but the main thing that I see in terms of this is so that everyone can take part in the ceremony. While it is like, for example, it was Joe Biden's day um, on Wednesday. It's really for the public too. This is the person that got voted into office that is representing the people that um, is going to be building trust with the American public. And so having it in an accessible place to me is, is really what makes sense in these scenarios. So if that means having it outside and being in a hat and glove and mittens and being all bundled up um, so that the public can see this um, event take place and see a part of history and be able to say that they took part in it, I think is really important to our democracy. And um, yeah, so it, again, there are, of course, there were extenuating circumstances where it has not always been outside and to the public, but for the most part, and if you can remember too, like even your throughout your life, um, all the inaugurations have really been outside and for the most part will be outside. And we know the purpose of the inauguration, right guys? It's basically as a way of swearing in a new president and it's supposed to be a symbol of a peaceful transition of power. Now this year, of course, was different as I talked about in our first segment and I will probably talk about later on in this podcast. But the whole point is that we're a democracy, right? We're supposed to be having faith that we're not electing dictators or monarchs and this peaceful transition of power is crucial to that. And that's where the inauguration day really comes in. Um, so in addition to that, you are going to also see um, a lot of audience members that are there too. Like regardless of like where the public is, like, you know, like on the national mall, you see the crowds of people in normal years that um, congregate for that. The audience members are people who like you're going to be seeing um like sitting behind um, like the Bidens and like um, people up in the gallery area. And you might be wondering who those people are. And usually um, in terms of like a normal inauguration, these audience members always include the upcoming um, vice president. So for example, Vice President Harris, which is really exciting to say um, that we now have a female in office. So for example, she would be somebody that will always be there um, for this ceremony, regardless of COVID and the security circumstances that we talked about. You're also going to see former presidents and first ladies, which of course, again, really weird this year, different circumstances, but normally former presidents and first ladies do show up for this. Um, so like you'll see, you probably saw the Obamas, um, the Bushes, people like that. Also, members of Congress are also invited, especially since it is being held at the Capitol building. That's where these members of Congress work. Um, and additionally, you have like Supreme Court justices. Um, in normal circumstances, we have the outgoing administration who are always there. Again, as a symbol of that peaceful transition of power. I mean, at the very least, Mike Pence and his wife showed up. So, you know, I appreciate that. And I think the American public did appreciate that. 
Um, and then again, we have other like high level officials. These are the people that are like the really bougie donors and um, the people who work behind the scenes in the campaigns to make things happen. And just overall, like guests of Joe Biden um, that he would want there that day. Now, breaking down the inauguration, there are always going to be four parts to the, the ceremony. And over the years, things have been added, like, um, for example, like musical performances, like Lady Gaga crushed it um, at this last inauguration. And um, but then again, you wouldn't you probably wouldn't see somebody performing at George Washington's back in the day. So like things can be added. But for the most part, these four things are what are always going to be involved in an inauguration ceremony. So the first being an oath of office, right? That is the oath that Joe Biden said on Wednesday that made him president of the United States. And um, it's it's a really basic statement. It's like, it's kind of funny. It's like three sentences. And that basically is like, okay, now you are, you are in charge of one of the most powerful countries in the world. Like it's, it's kind of, it's kind of funny how that works. And the oath does have to be taken, however, on um, some sort of religious like item. So it doesn't actually need to be a Bible. Usually that's what happened in the past, but for example, it could be a Torah or a Quran, and it could really be anything. It, it, there's nothing in there saying that specifically needs to be a Bible. Um, and a lot that has to do with like freedom of religion, separa separation of um, church and state, um, which is really, really great to, to see and know. And I think it's really great knowing that it doesn't have to be a Bible, which leads to the opportunity that people of many different religions could potentially be holding um, the presidency one day. And of course, that being said with church and state, there are instances where usually a prayer is involved at some point during this time. It could be just a simple like God bless thing. Um, I'm not super religious, so I'm sure there are people who could explain this better than me, but overall there is like a, a general prayer that people do say at this time. So moving on to, I would argue the most important part of the inauguration is the inaugural address. And it's so important because this is the very first time that the newly sworn in president is addressing the American people as their president. So for an example, um, if you, again, using JFK, because of course he, he is a Cape Codder and a Boston Boston guy, and I am as well, and so I'm going to probably be using him a lot as an example throughout this series. But JFK, in his speech, had that use that really famous quote that we all either have heard of or know today, where it was, "Ask not what your country can do for you; ask what you can do for your country." Like those are very powerful words, and it gives a president, like for example Joe Biden, the opportunity to really connect with the people. And especially in this election and what happened and how it unfolded and what is coming up, um, this, I would argue, is the most important part to the whole inauguration because um, you have a president, a newly sworn in president, who is going to have to now try to unify the nation. And in general, too, this is a chance for presidents to connect with people and to outline the tone of their administration. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if this inaugural address that Joe Biden did is going to go down in history as one of the most memorable um, inauguration addresses. 
just because of everything that we have going on right now in this crazy dumpster fire of a political landscape. <laughs> so um, yeah, definitely if you watch that live or you witness a piece of history and if you haven't had a chance to see it, excuse me, to see it, I highly recommend. So after that comes, you know, the inaugural parade. And um, yeah, this is just really a way to just like connect with people again, make the first walk as president and to be kicking off the celebratory parts of the inauguration. And at night, it ends with the inaugural ball, of course. And this is usually um, having to do with like friends, family, campaigners, donors, members of Congress, how, like basically everyone who was invited to the inauguration gets a ticket to this event as well. And again, it's just a continuation of the celebration that we now have a new president and they are now starting their four years in office. And as I mentioned previously about why we have the inauguration at the Capitol building, um, it's because members of Congress are the ones who plan the inauguration. So what you usually see is something that gets formed right after the um, president-elect is selected. And this is even this could even be formed before the electoral college votes are counted. But this is known as the presidential inaugural committee. What makes it really special is that it's actually comprised of a joint committee from the House and the Senate. In case you're wondering, um, that is what a joint committee is. It's when people from the House and people of the Senate come together in order to um, tackle one problem. So it, from the House, you see three members. And then from the Senate, you also see three members. And what is really special about this inaugural committee, which I really like, actually, is that it's usually bipartisan. Now, what is bipartisanship? Well, guys, that is something that I would definitely be getting into later on in this um, series that I'm making. It is something that I actually wrote my senior thesis on and it is something I'm very passionate about. So um, I'm definitely going to be talking about that later on, but I want to explain what bipartisan is, excuse me, bipartisanship is, so that way you're not confused if I use it, um, it down the line in, in the rest of this podcast. So bipartisanship is basically like having people from two different parties, like Democrats and Republicans, working together to find a common ground solution, right? So that's what makes this committee so special, in my opinion. It's that it is bipartisan. So you have both Democrats and Republicans from the House and Democrats and Republicans from the Senate coming together in order to plan this committee. And you might be wondering, well, shouldn't it be the job of the party who's ever, uh, if their pre their candidate was elected to office to be to plan this? And the whole point of this is that the president is all of our leaders at that point. He is their leader as well. Like it's it's not. It's on us and them thing versus the parties. It should be something that is cohesive and um, some unity there and it's trying to evoke a sense of unity. So um, that is the first reason why it is always bipartisan. And the second reason is it makes sure that each party is being seen and heard in a fair way. You could have circumstances where, um, let's say that um, the Democrats were only in charge of Biden's inauguration and they can make it this really over-the-top, bougie, like, like crazy, like, big celebration. And it can make other celebrations in the future for other parties if they can't 
get up to that standard look bad and look like there's favoritism. The whole point is they're supposed to be like equal attention given to every president. Doesn't matter their party. Doesn't matter who they are. Um, the same thing was done for for Trump four years ago. And though I'm sure there are a lot of Democrats who didn't like him, just like how there are probably Republicans on this committee, like Mitch McConnell's on this committee, for example, who don't like Biden. The whole point is they're supposed to rise above that and work together on in forming this uh, com- committee and forming the inauguration. So. Um, yeah, that, that is the main point of having that committee, and it's overseen by the Senate Rules and Administrative Committee. And this committee, again, organizes the entire day. For, so the swearing-in ceremony, they have usually a welcome lunch that takes place where the president and vice president will um, eat with members of Congress for the very first time as their leader. And as we know, the vice president is the one who presides over the Senate chamber. So this is this is very important, of course, so they can get a chance to um, connect with their vice president. Yeah, so that's really the inauguration day in a nutshell. Um, it, again, is something that is outlined in the Constitution. We will always have one. Um, of course, there are dire circumstances where it may not be made to the public or may not always be at the Capitol building um, down the line in the future if things come up. But overall, it's something that needs to happen for this country because we are a democracy and the people do have a say. And having that visual representation of that and giving people the chance to see it happen um, is, is really crucial in order for that democracy to survive. Moving on, let's talk about the 20th Amendment. And at this point, you might be thinking, oh, this is probably going to be really dry. <laughs> and uh, like, why why the 20th Amendment even matters in the first place. But um, like I said, this is the amendment that basically outlines when, for example, the president and vice president can officially begin and end their time in office. So um, the 20th Amendment is actually very specific. And it gives a very strict outlines on how these things happen, um, which, again, might be something that you might not have known if you think that things just are organized every four years um, when a new president is elected. The 20th Amendment has rules and it goes so much further into that. So I'm just going to we're going to dive into that right now in D cubed. So there actually is a provision in the 20th Amendment that. The uh, current president, so President Trump, is president on January 20th up until noon. It is very specific. Um, You will never see an inauguration ceremony, the swearing-in, start before noon for that reason. And that is because the outgoing president, they they are given that morning to, to wrap things up to address the people one last time, which we did see, of course, with President Trump um, before excuse me, haha, former President Trump um, before our now President Joe Biden was sworn into office. So um, another thing you might not know about the 20th Amendment is that it actually outlines when uh, basically all federally elected positions can start. So in normal years, non-election years, it, it does outline that Congress can begin at noon again on January 3rd. Unless, of course, otherwise specified. 
And having those clear outlines is really important because it does put some restrictions on the power of Congress. So a great example of this is with the upcoming impeachment trial. So as you can recall, um, you had the House vote on the charges for impeachment, and um, they they could have chosen with along with the Senate, like Mitch McConnell would have had that power at the time, to decide to continue with the trial and keep Congress as a functioning body at that point. But um, they chose not to do that, and they chose to let the inauguration happen and for that new um, start date for all of them to take place where new members of Congress um, would be starting out their term. So again, that would be like a, a crazy circumstance where that could have happened, but it didn't happen this time around. Um, in in general, though, you're going to see Congress, their, their, their start date be January 3rd. Um, so it, the 20th Amendment also states that if a president-elect dies or isn't qualified to be president, then the vice president-elect becomes the new president-elect or new president. And if you're thinking, like, what does it mean? Why, what do you mean by qualified? Well, there are provisions in place that outline what a person must have in order to be president. So, for example must be born in the United States. This is a non-negotiable. Must be at least 35 years of age. Also non-negotiable. So like things like that that are in place. So for example, like if people wanted to have this mass vote in for AOC and um, she's not yet 35 yet, she could technically win the election but not be able to get sworn in as uh, president because she's not old enough. And um, then her vice president, whoever that may be, um, would then take her place. And again, too, if let's say in a crazy circumstance, if Joe Biden maybe passed away before the that he was sworn in, then of course our girl Kamala would be the president-elect to be sworn in to be president. And the reason why this provision is even in there or any of these provisions are in the 20th Amendment is because there was literally nothing before this, which is crazy to me to think about, especially with like assassination attempts they've had in the past and how many of those were successful. Like not having something in place to me seems a little, little unfortunate for this country, but I'm glad that we, we pulled it together at some point. Um, but yeah, so that, this is really just like a way to, to clearly outline um, what, when it comes to like elected positions and the start and end dates for that. And additionally, which I think is something that we actually might have seen um, based depending on how the um, the domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol building a few weeks ago, we would have if, if that was successful, this is what we probably would have seen. Congress does have the power to choose a president if the electoral college fails. Now, the term fail is a very can be, can be is wide open to interpretation, right? Because a lot of people actually saw the Electoral College fail um, in the 2016 election when Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Um, but President, <laughs> I gotta, I can't, can't wait to get used to saying this. Former President Trump um, got the nomination, right? Because he had the most electoral votes. So, in in a circumstance like this, it would be like, let's say, if Riders 
did steal those electoral college votes um, and they couldn't be counted and there was no way of recasting them or if members of the electoral college um, somehow got in, were incapacitated and couldn't do their job, then Congress has the power to do this. And if you're wondering why, why is it Congress? They seem to have a lot of power in our government. Well, they do. It was designed that way. Um, but really, even if even if you didn't vote in this past election or previous elections for your member of Congress, they still are our way of electing representation into the government, of course, to represent us. And they're supposed to be our voice and supposed to be doing things to help us and, and improving our communities and our country. So if it comes to the, the conclusion that they need to speak on our behalf in order for us to have a president, they are in the full right to do that. Um, yeah, that is a really condensed explanation of the 20th Amendment. I think it's really important to talk about it just because it is talked, it is used so much during Inauguration Day and especially to the connection between what happened with the attack on the Capitol building and the Electoral College votes, the potential for that to have gone wrong. And since the Electoral College votes, of course we know, are what really solidifies someone being the president-elect, it is definitely something that I thought you guys should know. And um, hopefully now you can bring it up in conversation if you feel like it. So the last part of D-cubed that I will be talking about today will actually be um, the first 100 days. Now, this is a part of American politics that's, it's not like, it's very different for each president, I'll just say that. But the first 100 days, I'm sure you've heard a lot about in headlines or talking to people um, that are interested in politics that they've mentioned this, but they these 100 days are so crucial, and especially for Joe Biden. But you might be wondering why they're important. They're just the first 100 days of somebody in office. Like, why is it measured as 100 days? And why is it that all these promises are trying to be made during this time? Well, what you need to know is that this basically outlines what a president wants to achieve in office, not just in the beginning, but like over the course of their whole term. And that is why it's so important. It sets the tone for what is going to be the next four years. And so especially when you have somebody like Joe Biden, who has never, um, he's been our vice president, yes, and he has been a senator, but he has never been president. So as a first time president, this is even more important because um, it could be that you, he acts incorrectly and doesn't do what the American people want, and that he loses that trust that he so desperately needs to gain um, not even with Republicans, but with Democrats as well. And a lot of the times this is also used to be seen how successful a president has been so far and will be in the future. So what you can probably tell is that these this is just really a way for presidents to show that they're keeping campaign promises and listening to the American people. And again, giving the, those first timers a chance to really prove themselves that they are somebody that is deserving to be in that office because they can get things done. So, in general, you're going to hear a lot of, like, what the president wants to do on their first day, and we've heard this more with Biden, of course, because he's been very outspoken with overturning a lot of what has happened in the um, in Trump's presidency, but this is usually done with an executive order. 
So an executive order is an order coming straight from the president and only the president. That's that's crucial to remember. And it mandates something pertaining to the federal government. For example, that mask mandate that I mentioned previously is an executive order. And um, like if you need a further example of like what he Biden would be capable of doing with that, it isn't like he can execute an executive order to like overturn a Supreme Court case or something like that. It's really just like him stating like his power and abilities within his position that he's in as president. And that's really all you need to know so far. And we're just going to be seeing a lot of those if we haven't already, um, for sure, coming up. I hope you enjoyed my very first segment of D-Cubed. And now I'm going to be moving on to some positive political news um, that has happened in the last week or few weeks. Um, And again, just to recap what I said a little while ago, I am going to be taking this time to do that just because while it might feel like it's a needle in a haystack right now with some positive news stories doing having to do with politics and government, they're still out there and they're worth sharing. And if it can put a smile on your face or give you some hope, that that is what I'm hoping. And again, um, this will be time that I could be using to do an interview or have a guest on my show. And while I definitely don't have any this week, as you can probably tell, my first episode, I am hoping in the next few weeks for that to change. Um, so stay tuned on that. But yeah, I'm just going to jump right into some positive news that I have found and definitely worth sharing. So the first thing that I want to point out is something that actually happened the night of the domestic terrorist attack at the Capitol. Now, I have used the term, first of all, the term domestic terrorist attack to talk about what happened at the Capitol simply being because that's what it was. And um, I'm sure this is going to be something that is brought up as more details unfold because we have been learning more from the Capitol attack. But I just want to set the record straight. It was a domestic terrorist attack and we need to be viewing it that way. But basically what happened was the night of this attack, when members of Congress were let back into their chambers so they could count the Electoral College votes, um, you had a Democrat representative from New Jersey named Andy Kim, who basically cleaned up the rotunda floor in the Capitol building. And for those of you who don't know or have never been to the Capitol building, the rotunda is basically like, you know, that dome on top of the Capitol building that's like really distinct Um It's the room directly underneath that, and it has a lot of artifacts and a lot of history in that room. So this representative was on his hands and knees cleaning up the the mess that was left behind by these rioters. And what I really love about the story was that he wasn't doing it for attention. He wasn't doing it to, to look good. He did it when no one was around and making sure that he was taking care of his home. He said, like, this is the place where he works and he has a lot of love for that building. And as as do I, as do many Americans. Um, And the only reason why we actually know that this happened was you had two Republican representatives, Representatives Phillips and Malinowski, who witnessed this happen. 
I mean, they themselves, it's worth pointing out that they themselves were taking the time to go to as many capital security cards as they could from the day and just thank them for protecting them. Because um, really, I mean, there, there are definitely videos out there, guys, I can't deny it, of capital security guards not doing what they're supposed to be doing and taking selfies with those coming into the building when they shouldn't have. But there are a lot of security guards that day who really put their life on the line to keep our members of Congress safe. And that was what these uh, representatives were doing to, when they were going to thank them for the service that day. And they came across Representative Kim and they they were just taken aback by what was happening. And actually, it was a, it was a great moment of unity where they, they joined him and they did end up taking a picture and tweeted it out. Um, not, in my opinion, not because, again, the attention, but because of just how how beautiful that moment was and how a man was literally on his hands and knees in his suit in, and in a mask, um, what a king he is, in a mask, cleaning up the building um, that he calls home. So that that is definitely a, a great piece of political news that I came across that I thought you guys would like to hear. And the second one is is so amazing. So if you haven't heard about this, um, you are missing out. So basically what happened was you had, uh, in 2018, Joe Biden adopted um, his German, one of his German shepherds named Major from this no-kill animal shelter in Delaware. And that same shelter was uh, so proud to see one of their dogs now going to be in the White House, and that's where he's going to be living for the next few years, that they had an inauguration ceremony. So like an inauguration for the president, they had one for the dog. Um, and especially since he, this dog will be the first ever shelter dog in the White House. And you might not think that's a big deal, but we look to our leaders to set trends for us, right? So if people see that a shelter dog is something that Joe Biden and his family have picked, for their dog for the White House and to join their family, people might be more inclined to go to shelters in the future to adopt dogs. So in case you missed the inauguration, they literally had Josh Groban perform. And he's saying, how much is that doggy in the window? His own rendition of it. Like, how cute is that? Like, to get Josh Groban in his velvety voice to be singing a kid's nursery rhyme for a dog and his fake inauguration ceremony like that 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 is that is peak that is peak like 2021 I just don't think we can we can top that this year and it's really nice knowing too that um basically this would this was an event for the shelter right this wasn't just like a thing like oh this major is so cute we need to have an inauguration for him they actually ended up raising over a hundred thousand dollars for this no-kill shelter and um, it was an in, it was an online event, so if you're worried about COVID and mass, it was a it was a completely a live stream that they had this ceremony. Um, and I think we can all agree, it doesn't matter what you believe in, that uh, dogs are amazing, and this absolutely should have happened. And I am here for it 100%. Okay, so moving on to the next piece of positive political news for you guys. We have we're going to be having our first openly transgender person to be confirmed by the US Senate for a position in federal office. Um and so 
there uh this has never been done before clearly and was really fantastic to see coming from by the Biden administration that this this is something they're committed to you know they talked about wanting to have a more diverse cabinet and group of people surrounding the president and they're they're clearly trying to live up to that and Biden's cabinet in general is the most diverse in this country's history even more diverse than Obama um, had for himself so the the woman in question is Dr. Rachel Lev I'm going to say it's pronounced Levine or Levin um, and she will be the new assistant secretary of health. Now, for a little background about her, she's currently Pennsylvania's health secretary, and she's been in that role for a few years. And she's basically, if you know anybody in Pennsylvania or you're from Pennsylvania yourself, she's really been the the, the face for handling the pandemic. She's the one who's been making um, policy changes and talking to the public and really spearheading that. Um, and she's done a really fantastic job. Um, and she overall, I think, is just personally really extremely qualified for this position and has numerous years in the health field. Um, and I think I'm really excited to see what she's able to get done. Um, and it's one of those things where, yes, she does happen to be somebody who is transgender. However, she's also extremely qualified. And Biden did not just pick her to, to have a diverse cabinet. She has the skills and um, the knowledge in order to really serve us, especially during this pandemic. Um, and she, she did a, such a good job in Pennsylvania. So I'm I'm so excited to see that, and you should too. And I'm I'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot of her in the future, with briefings or working behind the scenes even to make sure that we can get this pandemic under control. The last, but definitely not the least, um, when it comes to positive political news this week is, if you guessed it, I'm giving you a gold star, talking about Amanda Gorman. Now, if you don't know who she is, she is the, uh, she, excuse me, she was the National Youth Poet Laureate who um, said that really inspiring speech during Biden's inauguration. Now, this girl, I, I could have mentioned her earlier with the inauguration and what happened, um, but she deserves her own part. I wasn't just going to shove her in somewhere because she is one of the people I think we're going to have to watch in politics for sure. Um, and just a little bit of backstory on her. She basically, um, she's a Harvard graduate. She's the same age as me, 22. And in 2018, she was named the first National Youth Poet Laureate. And you might not know this about her, but she actually um, had to overcome a speech impediment. Um, very, very similar to our current president. Um, and I thought that was a really nice connection between the two, something they share, and yet they are able to public speak and, and do it um, in a very effective way. But this girl is going to be a powerhouse, and she already is one. <laughs> Definitely worth noting that. She said that she's already planning to um, run for president in 2036, the first year that she is eligible. And I think that is so cool. Like, I guess even as a kid, she would introduce herself as the future president of the United States. And that's something like that to me, especially with somebody who's like my own age and like is in Gen Z, like I'm sure many of you are, or maybe like if you're a younger millennial, you can um, connect with this. Just like seeing that passion and that drive right out the gate and that, that beautiful poem, like I, I'm not even going to go into the details of that because I want to entice you to go look this up yourself. If you haven't seen it, 
um, or heard it and just experience that because of how powerful it was and what an amazing job she did. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think she's somebody that we're going to have to watch. And her, her poem is something that I think really resonated with a lot of people and really unified a lot of people, um, because of its, the core of its message had nothing to do with the party system and, and all about pushing through the darkness to get to the light, um, as one country. Uh, but yeah, she's somebody that I'm very excited to hopefully follow her progress. I hope to see her running for, for office sometime soon. And like I said, um, definitely keep your eyes on her for sure. Well, guys, we've officially made it to the end of my very first episode of In the Isle. I just want to take a few moments to just say, if you've made it this far, I am so grateful and for you, and I can't thank you enough. This is a project that I was really going back and forth on. I wasn't sure if I should even be making it in the first place, if I had enough to say or enough expertise, so to speak. Um, and not to mention also the idea of recording my voice and like having to listen back to that, um, in the editing process was really daunting, but, um, I'm really excited for this and I, I'm so excited to see how this grows and for me to grow with this show, um, in the future. So again, I, again, if you made it this far, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I am so appreciative, um, that being said, if you like something that you heard today or think somebody else in your life may too, please feel free to share this. Um, definitely think that this has the potential of helping people who maybe want to learn more about politics and just aren't sure how or what what's the best way to go about that. So please feel free to share this. Like, subscribe, that whole the whole shebang. <laughs> I feel like I'm a YouTuber right now just saying that. But really, um, I, I'd be honored if, if you'd be willing to do that. And also, too, depending on what platform you're listening to this on, I know it's on a bunch right now, um, feel free to, uh, to to rate this, you know, and, like, leave a comment and um, have some feedback that way. Definitely would appreciate it if you could do that. Now, of course, wrapping things up, looking forward to the next year. Uh, year that we have in front of us. I think it's <laughs> safe to say that COVID is obviously going to be something that is going to be prevalent. I mean, she is clearly not going anywhere and um, she she is definitely not to be ignored. So that is something that um, we're definitely obviously going to see with politics and policy, things our government are going to be concerned with, etc. Of course, I mentioned the impeachment a bunch of times during this episode. Um, that in itself is going to be a beast to, to tackle. I have, I'm going to already started brainstorming of ways that best way to deliver that news to you guys as it breaks, and of course the the analysis behind that. Definitely pay attention to that. Um, and overall, I would just say that um, there's this uh, campaign, excuse me, this administration um, is going to be one that's just going to be reversing a lot of Trump era policy, just because I mean. Biden is so different from Trump. Um, and even if it wasn't, we, we aren't living in such weird times right now with politics, you, you would probably see this anyways, right? It's not to be unexpected. So those are things that you should be for sure looking out for. What I will be talking about, of course, in future episodes. Uh, 
I have also created an email that you can use if you want to send me any questions that you have in general or about something I talked about in the episodes that I that I have released or will be releasing. Um, and just general comments. I would really love to hear it. I know in some platforms like Anchor, um, you can actually send me voice messages. So if that is something that you would like to do too, definitely check that out. But what you can, uh, the email that you can use in order to send me stuff is just in the aisle podcast one at gmail.com. And the one is, is not like one spelled out. It's just the number one. So again, that is in the aisle podcast one at gmail.com. And I was actually surprised a lot of the domain names that I tried were taken, which has me a little concerned that someone else has a podcast named in the aisle. But I really dug deep and I could not find anything. So it's possible somebody has it, not using it, and made it on a whim and never made a podcast from it. Let's keep our fingers crossed. But yeah, again, please feel free to send me any comments, questions, or anything that you would want me to know or hear about. Something that I wasn't planning initially on but did decide to do and I'm very excited about is... um, I'm going to be releasing a mini-sode after each main episode each week. Um, and the point of the mini-sode is to go even deeper into what I'm talking about. Because a lot of the time, um, I will be just scraping the surface so that you can have a general understanding of what's going on. But for those people who do have that political background and want to get more into that discussion stuff, um, and policy and whatnot, or the people who want to learn more and maybe just don't want to spend the time Googling it yourself, this is what's going to be really beneficial for you. And I'm very excited for that. And you can expect that first mini-sode to um, be released very shortly after um, this episode, if it hasn't been already. And I'm extremely excited about that, and I hope you guys will be too. The very last thing that I'm going to say before I turn it in for the day is I really want to clarify when I say um, that I'm going to be delivering like nonpartisan, unbiased news. Now, it's no secret. If you've made it this far. You've definitely heard me give opinions and um, things of that nature in terms of what has happened this week in politics. Um, but I always am going to be working hard to make sure that I'm never doing that with the news I deliver you. And the point of that is I really want to make sure you're getting like the facts and not just an opinion being stated as a fact, which sometimes it's hard to distinguish the two. Um, And also I want to leave it open to like being able to criticize both sides of the aisle. You know, like I call the show in the aisle for a reason. I'm not, I'm not going to be taking a side per se. Well, I, I mean, I definitely have my opinions and you can definitely hear that. I think it's, it's good to to do give some healthy criticism to both sides, um, especially um, with this new administration. Like, just because um, they they're in now doesn't mean that they can't they can't live up to the promises that they made us. Right. So I think that in that respect, the news is going to de- always be nonpartisan and unbiased. But my own analysis, for example, is going to be opinionated from like my experiences, my education, um, my overall thoughts on the matter. And to be clear, dirty politicians, no matter who who um, they are or what party they're a part of, um, 
are never going to be defended on the show. So if you feel like I'm attacking Trump a lot, um, he he deserves it. He did a lot of questionable things in office, and that is putting it in a polite way. And especially with the terrorist attack down in DC, that that in itself is enough to for for me to for me to um, criticize him. Right again, putting that politely. But but know that it's it's if they're a dirty politician, I'm not going to be giving them any slack. I don't care what party they're from. Um, and because there are toxic politicians from both parties, I think that's that's really no secret. Um, that's not and if that is news to you. Um, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but there is no perfect party. Right. Um, so, again, something to 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 note um, going forward as you're listening to me talk about things um, and just something I wanted to make sure I was clarifying. I don't want you to be um, presuming that everything that you're getting is going to be unbiased because there are definitely parts, like I said, that won't be. So just want to put that out there just so you know what you're getting into, what your friend, you tell your friends what they would be getting into as well. It's also worth noting that episodes in the future, I promise you, will be shorter than this one. Um, I just needed this extra time to really set up the foundation for what you guys will be hearing when you tune in each week. Um, so I need the time to obviously explain things and whatnot, but I am going to be committed to making episodes a lot shorter and saving, like I said, that nitty gritty information in the uh, mini-sodes that I will be releasing after each episode that go into more detail. I hope everybody has a wonderful week. And I cannot wait until next time when you join me in the aisle. I'm your host, Christina. It's been a great time talking with you all today. And I can't wait to see you next week.